Welcome to the Ram Iyer Podcast with your host, Ram Iyer, thought leader, author, keynote speaker, workshop leader, and mentor. Listen to his engaging conversations with experts from across the world and his personal insights that will help you create a better life, become more successful, and achieve your personal greatness. Now, here's Ram! Welcome to Business Thinking Radio. I'm Ram Ayer, your host and president of the Business Thinking Institute in Princeton. Today's show is how you can succeed in your mind and have success follow. A conversation with Dr. Professor Ellen Langer of Harvard, who has been called the mother of mindfulness, and she is one of the leading experts on the influence of one's mindset on outcomes you achieve in life. Most of us seek to become what we believe other people believe we want to be. It's a facade. On the other hand, Dr. Langer's work centers around getting your own mind to believe in whatever you choose to believe and getting your mind and your body to deliver. Dr. Langer believes that most people are much more capable than they are, but the way they think holds them back. In other words, self-imposed limits. Dr. Langer has conducted many studies, many of them very famous, to figure out how to get the mind not to hold you back. She imagines a day when blame isn't the first thing people reach for when things don't go well. Instead, we simply bring to bear the power of our own minds, which she believes will turn out to be far greater in capability than we ever imagined. In the Hindu scripture, the Bhagavad Gita, there is a saying, as you think, so you will become. And I suspect that other scriptures of other religions may have similar sayings. Dr. Langer has figured out how to do that. Psychological intervention for physical results. What your mind believes, your body delivers. Welcome, Dr. Langer. Thank you, Ram. A wonderful introduction, except for one small thing. Please. That my belief is that People are limited in all the ways that you said, far beyond what they believe, ah. not what I believe, <laughs> a minor okay. point. That's a good point. So the thing is, you know, people use a lot of jargon. I mean, you're a PhD from Yale and you've been teaching at Harvard for 40 years. You understand the nuances of all these things and you understand that when it comes to language, many people don't understand the nuances, me included. Okay. So people always say you can achieve more if you change your mindset. And I know you've heard it umpteen times. So can you please help us by starting out with what is a person's mindset? A mindset is a structured belief that was determined in the past that leads to certain behaviors, actions, thoughts in the present, where the person essentially is no longer guiding what they're doing. They're not taking in new information. Their past view is determining their current circumstances. I've been studying this concept of mindfulness and mindlessness for 40 some odd years. And basically, the research has made clear to me that most of us are mindless almost all of the time, which is sad. Mm -hmm. um, what it means to be mindless, to not be present, to have the past dictate all that you're currently doing, 
where you're oblivious to the importance of context and perspective, where you're following rules like a robot rather than letting rules and routines guide your behavior. When you're operating under a mindset, what that typically means is that you're being mindless. You have a sense of before you're in a situation of how you're going to be, and then it plays out basically automatically. So your beliefs that were formed in the past define whatever it is that you're thinking about or looking at, and you act accordingly. Right. Now, what's interesting and easy for people to understand is that most of these beliefs were determined when we were young. Uh And I think people would shudder at the thought that they're limiting themselves by, let's say, their 15-year-old self, who is taught that they can or can't do A, B, or C. So that what we want is to let our current selves dictate thoughts and our behaviors. The effects of these mindsets go so far beyond what people imagine that it's mind-boggling. Let me tell you about one study that's gotten a fair amount of press. People may know it but it serves the purpose of showing all that we're capable of. Mm -hmm. Most of us believe that aging is a time just of loss. You know, Mm -hmm. we foolishly have this idea of you're developing when you're younger, and then magically somehow you're not developing anymore. It's just a, a downward spiral. I, of course, don't believe that. I believe and have studied growth in late adulthood for, again, many decades. You know, what I did was to take a retreat that was timeless and arrange it so that it was not 1979, which is when we first did the study, but represented 1959. Hmm. So what we did was have magazines. The whole place looked sort of like a Hollywood set, not a fancy Hollywood set because we Mm -hmm. didn't have a lot of funds. Mm -hmm. Um, And we were going to have people live in this environment. These were elderly men live in this retreat that had been retrofitted to 20 years earlier, as if they were their younger selves. So they would talk about events in the past, but in the present tense. Now, these men were in their 80s, and that was, as I said, 1979, so that was when 80 was 80, not the new 60. They were really old. Uh But in a very short time, being their younger selves, the effects were phenomenal. What happened was their vision improved, their hearing improved, their memory improved, their strength improved. And we had also taken photographs of people before the experiment started. And then at the end, had people who knew nothing about the study evaluate these photos. And they were judged as even looking younger, just by allowing themselves to be their younger selves. Now, they're not their younger selves, so so that we can say in some sense that even as 80, one doesn't have to accept limits with respect to vision, hearing, strength, memory, but the expectation, the mindset that when you're old, you're going to be forgetful, then leads us to be forgetful in in several ways. For example, let's say if I believe I'm not going to remember, the first thing we forget is how forgetful we were when we were younger. (laughs) Young people are not infrequently forgetful, but they don't have the mindset that being young means you shouldn't remember things. Mm -hmm. All right. So now if I forget something, thinking that I'm old, I've forgotten. Now it's just a downward spiral. Mm -hmm. Now I expect myself to forget. What 
that means is I'm anxious in situations where I'm trying to remember things. And that anxiety and stress is going to make it harder for me to remember. It's also the case, and people don't pay enough attention to this, that as you get older, your values change. You know, when I was in my late 20s and an up and coming, mm -hmm. it was important for me to learn everybody's name. Sure. You know, at, at this point now, frankly, I don't care <laughs> yeah. that if I meet somebody new, that I will come to know their name if there's reason to know it. So mm -hmm. let's say you introduce me to three of your friends, mm -hmm. and two minutes later I don't remember their names. Mm -hmm. I'm going to think, because of this mindset driving my way of understanding the situation, that I've forgotten. But I didn't forget. I never learned it in the first place. If you don't learn it in the first place, then when you don't know it in the second place, it's not because you forgot it. Let me see if I can kind of summarize this a little bit differently, and please tell me if this uh, makes sense. See, what we think about is based upon what we are focused on. So in your example, at one point you're saying, I need to remember the names of the three friends I was introduced to, right? If that is your focus, which means that, you know, one of your five senses is sending an input to your brain saying, remember these three names, then that becomes your thought. And then your thought becomes words, and then your words become actions. And I say, oh, yeah, the three friends that you introduced me to were John, Mary, and Joe. And at that point, you say, gee, I have a good memory. I agree all until the very last comment. I think that when you're younger, you don't walk around thinking you have a good memory. It's just not an issue. It only becomes an issue when you get old. If you're a bad student, you see yourself as a bad student so that now when you're trying to study for an exam, that anxiety, again, leads you not to take in the information well so that you won't know it when you're given the questions on the exam. So if I think I'm going to be forgetful when I'm 75, that triggers a set of things in your brain that maybe makes you forget as well? Yes. And the first one is that you tend not to learn the information so that you don't have it available in the future. Ah, Interesting. Interesting. So if we were able to, quote unquote, manipulate, for, for lack of a better word, the sensory inputs to your brain, to whatever we design it to be, it could be influenced to make you develop a different mindset that may enable you to do things that you hitherto thought you couldn't do. Right. And so in the first instance, you're basically being mindless. Yeah. In the second instance, you're being mindful. And when you're being mindful, you're not operating within a mindset. You're just being. Correct. So the cerebral cortex, the, the new brain, the mammalian brain, and the reptilian brain, much of the mindset gets programmed into the reptilian brain. And people who are, quote-unquote, mindless simply rely on the reptilian brain for pretty much most of their thing. Yes, that's exactly right. Let me tell you about some brand-new data that speaks to uh, some of these senses you keep talking about. So what we did with people, and these are young and old, we have them listening to a podcast that they mm -hmm. choose, mm -hmm. but it's played at a very low volume. Mm -hmm. So it's difficult to hear. Mm -hmm. And by having the experience of trying to hear, then before we do any of this, we test their hearing. So we test your hearing, let's say, on whatever these measures, you've got a, a six. 
time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now you listen to this podcast that you can barely hear, mm-hmm. and then we test you on test your hearing again, and now you get an eight. And this is for young people as well. If you think about vision, you know, people start off with the idea that their vision is whatever their vision is, and again, mm-hmm. it's only going to get worse. Oh, mm-hmm. by the way, I had this experience that validates and what I'm saying. About six or seven months ago, I was trying to, I used to wear a contact lens in one eye for reading. Mm-hmm. And I was trying to take the stupid thing out of my eye and I'm causing almost damage to my eye. Mm-hmm. I can't get it out. And then I realized I didn't put it in. <laughs> now, um, and then I thought, well, gee, I went the whole day and I was seeing just fine because I thought that I had the lens in. And I haven't worn a contact lens or glasses since. So what happens is because of the medical world and some of the things that are necessary in some sense, the medical world can't tell you every moment what you should be experienced. So they give you normative data. So it's sort of what's true for everybody, more or less. And we take that as necessarily true for ourselves. And then we hold that constant. So you might go to the doctor and mm-hmm. you take the eye test and the doctor shows you that your vision is, oh, I don't know, 2040. Mm-hmm. And you assume that your vision is always 2040. That's your mindset about okay. your vision. Mm-hmm. Well, n- nobody's vision or anything else stays still. There are times it's better. There are times that it's worse. You know, that for me, when I see a restaurant sign and I'm hungry, I see it sooner than when I'm not hungry. <laughs> if I don't want to see you, Ron, I, yeah. I'm going to see you faster. So yeah. I can avoid you and so on. Ah. Um, some people see better in the morning, some in the afternoon and so on. But by assuming that it's always the same, so we take eyeglasses, which I think were initially designed in a temporary way. Mm-hmm. And we wear them all the time. And, mm-hmm. you know, this, if you imagine a laxative, if mm-hmm. you're having trouble going to the bathroom and you take a laxative, that'll help you. Mm-hmm. If you take the laxative every day, your mm-hmm. body becomes dependent on it. Sure. And so that's what we've done with some of these hearing aids and eyeglasses and so on. We assume we take have the mindset that we need this all the time. We use it all the time and then become dependent on it. So we did a study, mm-hmm. uh, a vision study, where we, we show people the typical Snellian eye chart, and that's the one where the letters get progressively smaller. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when I first took that, or not first, at some point when I'm in a doctor's office and I took that, it occurred to me that, see, if the letters are getting progressively smaller, there's an expectation that soon I won't be able to see. Mm-hmm. So what we did was reverse the, the eye chart. So mm-hmm. now the letters get progressively larger creating the expectation that soon we will be able to see. So meaning you had the same letters, but the... the, Everything is the same, Uh except it's in reverse order. And what happens this way, because there's an expectation that we will be able to see, people's vision improves. They can see what they couldn't see before. Ah. There's another expectation that many of us have, that around two-thirds of the way down the chart, now we have really small letters. We're mm-hmm. not going to be able to see So what we did is we took the eye chart and we started it a third of the way down. What that means now is that two-thirds of the way down are going to be even smaller letters. Mm-hmm. Right? Because the, the mindset mm-hmm. is two-thirds of the way down, I'm going to have difficulty. 
And again, people could see what they couldn't see before. So the key message here is at some point in your life, and you know, it depends upon the person and whatever, you have, quote unquote, decided in your mind what your limitations are, what you can do and can do. And right, exactly. people never mindfully go back and say, is that true? Is that still true? And they forever carry that limitation for the rest of their lives. Exactly. And it's true whether we're talking about the senses, we're talking about things like memory, we're talking about virtually any uh, skill that one has, you know, mm-hmm. that everything varies, but mm-hmm. there's a tendency, especially because of these, our mindlessness, mm-hmm. to, to hold still what we think we're able or not able to do. And so then much of the time we just don't even try things because we're just so sure we can't do them. And I think that a mistake people make is people think that they would enjoy being perfect at whatever they're doing. Mm-hmm. And so as soon as they come up against something where they're not perfect, then many people mistakenly give up. Mm-hmm. But you don't want to be perfect. You know, now let's say if you're a golfer, mm-hmm. if you got a hole in one each time you hit that ball, at first it might sound, isn't that wonderful? Everybody would applaud. You know, and I'd, I'd be the best. But there's no game then. So the point is that when something doesn't work, rather than walk away from it, what we want to do is see that as part of the process. We don't want everything to work so easily. You know, remember when you were young and you played tic-tac-toe, if you played mm-hmm. tic-tac-toe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, and it was fun. Then yeah. once you learn the way to win all the time, mm-hmm. it stopped being fun. So True. we tend as adults True. not to play tic-tac-toe. And what we mm-hmm. want is in some ways to use that as a metaphor. We don't want, even though we don't realize it, we really don't want everything to be quite so, so simple. See, we also don't want to win all the time. If you wanted to win all the time, then play tic-tac-toe against some child. You yeah, know, you'll yeah. always win. So yeah, we have yeah. to understand that, that these challenges are, in some sense, the juice, the, you give us the energy, the, the fun, the living. So what I'm hearing you say is mindset is useful. In other words, you know, you know a certain thing, you know, you see water and you say, okay, it's going to float to the lowest point. That's your belief. That's what you know as fact. And you file it away and use it every time. And that's going to reduce the need for you to rethink, oh, I see water. Which way is it going to flow? Is it going to go to the highest point or the lowest point? You don't have to think it. So in many ways, your mindset helps to simplify the life around you. But I have a strong, strong disagreement with that. My disagreement is when you form the mindset at time one, mm-hmm. then you're locking yourself into it for a lifetime. Now, Correct. you can have the general sense that this is the way water tends to flow, uh-huh. which is much more effective than this is the way it flows. Because as soon as you have this is the way, then okay. you're cut off from all sorts of possibilities. Yeah, but what? wouldn't it be taxing to your brain if you have to question everything every time you see it? No, you don't have to question it. I'm suggesting that what you do is you understand it a little differently. You understand it as a probability rather than an absolute. This is the way water tends to flow. You okay. don't have to then start attending to water. But mm-hmm. if you're in a circumstance where the water is actually flowing in a different way, 
you're mm-hmm. there to notice it and then can take advantage of the circumstance. See, you know, if you have activities like, like driving, mm-hmm. when people learn to drive, now they don't know anything about driving. When mm-hmm. we learn the beginning of any task, we don't know what, you know, the finer points of it. And it's a silly time to lock yourself in to how to do it. Mm-hmm. You want to know generally this is the way. And mm-hmm. then as you grow with the task, for instance, if you're playing a sport, you're playing tennis. And what they typically teach people, the way to hold the racket is that, you know, as you're shaking hands with the racket, the metaphor. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. And, you know, so people hit the ball and hit the ball and hit the ball and they're playing with that particular grip. But it turns out that when you know the game, that's not the grip you want to use. But people are, are going to have a hard time changing it because they lock themselves into it. If instead, you hold it sort of like this, and then what will happen is as you become more experienced, you will naturally make a change. And when I'm lecturing on some of this, I look in the audience and see if there's a very tall man. I'm 5'3". And if I find somebody who, let's say he's 6'3", and I Mm -hmm. ask him to come to the stage and put his hand out, and I put my hand next to his hand, and his hand is usually two inches longer than mine, Mm -hmm. it doesn't make any sense that we would do anything manually the same way. Hold mm-hmm. a racket, a baseball bat, a golf club, and so on. So you want to be careful because the rules that you're taught to do anything are based on certain people, usually the people who created the task. And the mm-hmm. degree to which you differ from them is the degree to which you want to vary what you're doing. So he should hold the racket in this particular way. With my much shorter hand, I'm not going to get the best swing by doing exactly what he's doing. So let me flip your thinking there. You've made a good point that in many cases, when you lock yourself into a certain mindset, it often turns out that it is the wrong thing for the current set of circumstances or the current context. I would say that most of the time it's wrong because most of the time we form these mindsets when we were eating they're young or inexperienced. Okay. So when you're first playing tennis, mm-hmm. you're going to lock yourself in to something that's very different from what you'll be doing if you decided you wanted to go pro. So let's flip that and say, when I look at a situation, how do I decide I need to re-examine whether the way I'm thinking about this is right or wrong, helpful or not, beneficial or not? Right. So what I'm saying is that if we don't lock ourselves in in the first place, the issue doesn't present itself in the second. Ah. That if you just learn in this maybe, it's likely probabilistic way, this is sort of the way you do it, then as circumstances change, you change with it. Okay. We did a study, okay. another sports study, where people are, it was an unusual kind of glove racket that mm-hmm. I got out of a, a catalog. <laughs> mm-hmm. And people are playing it. And then what we did, without them realizing it, we changed the ball. So the ball was of a very different weight, mm-hmm. which means that you should hit it very differently. Right? True, true. But true. we so we introduced people to this game, either conditionally, which means it could be like this, it would seem maybe you want to do whatever, versus this is the way. And Mm. when we did, so what happened is that those people who are introduced to it in this mindful way changed with the circumstances. 
So the first time they hit that ball, that was now a different ball. They saw, gee, something's different, and then you know quickly took advantage of this information, and their game was good. Those mm -hmm. who locked themselves in to mm -hmm. wait to hit the ball because it was a different ball, they didn't realize it was a different ball, just kept going and just kept failing. So if the person was mindful, he or she may have picked up on the fact that the way he was hitting wasn't working as well and say, wait a minute, what has changed? Identify yeah. it potentially, right? And then mm -hmm. adapt to the new situation. Right. I think the whole process is much quicker than that. You know, uh -huh. if you're there and you hit it and that's not right, then you hit it a little differently, quite naturally the next time. If you're, expect, if you're expecting it to be the same as the past, then you do the same thing as the past. And the, the one thing we probably yeah. all agree on is that everything is always changing. Everything looks different in different perspectives, from different perspectives. You want to be there so you can take mm -hmm. advantage of the subtle changes. Okay, so the answer, the key to succeeding then as things change, because they change all the time anyway, is to be mindful of what's going on around you at all times. Yes. And, you know, so that can sound like a lot of work, but it's actually very easy. Mindfulness, as I study it, which is simply noticing new things, is energy begetting, not consuming. You can't attend to everything, mm -hmm. but you haven't locked yourself into anything. Help me with this, because the moment you said pay attention to everything, as you rightly pointed out, the first thing that went through my head is, oh my gosh, my head is going to smoke. <laughs> right. You can't attend to everything, but you don't want to think that you know anything with any certainty. Sure. As soon as Instead, you think you know it with certainty, then you stop uh -huh. paying attention. You're relying on the past to tell you uh -huh. what to do, but the present uh -huh. is not the same thing. You know, we have uh, at all levels, what we're doing is using yesterday's solutions to solve today's problems. And that is the problem with a fixed to... mindset. Exactly. So help me with this. Is there an approach, a method, or a technique that you can guide me with yes. that enables me to quickly look at a situation and say, I'm going to quickly observe what is different without, as I said, smoking my head? Right. Well, the first thing is... You know, we're talking about you learning something new. You learn mm -hmm. it mindfully, conditionally in the first place. You know, sure. that this is the sure. case under certain circumstances, not under sure. all circumstances, so that when you're in another situation, you're present. Another thing mm -hmm. to do is to adopt the, the understanding that uncertainty is a friend, not a foe. Everything is uncertain. So if you realize that, then you're naturally going to be in the present. Another way mm -hmm. of doing this is to, you know, when you're in a situation, is to notice the new things about it. Now, that's your mind isn't going to explode because that's what we're doing when we're at play. The reason that humor is humorous is because all of a sudden you're thrown a, a curveball, something, you know, that you weren't expecting, and then it becomes funny. So this noticing the unexpected is energy begetting. And the essence, it's the essence of engagement. So it's not hard. It's what we should be doing. I mean, if you're going to be doing a task, you want to be there for it. 
you're talking about changing the nature. I'll give you a simple example. I have a daughter who's now in high school. And as I was growing up, see, I'm personally naturally very curious. So I'd always say, oh, look at that. Why do you think there are a clump of trees there? So look at the light. Uh, how soon do you think we're going to hit a red? Basically, it's critical thinking, right? right. Observe, right. look at the various signs around you. And many times my daughter would say, Dad, I don't want to notice anything. I just want to sit in the car. Can I do that, please? <laughs> That's an example of somebody expecting their head to smoke. <laughs> uh, no, I, I think you, is your head smoking or hers? <laughs> what, what she wants to do is mindfully attend to whatever she's thinking about or doing in the car. Mm-hmm. And she doesn't want to mm-hmm. interact with you. And you mindlessly mm-hmm. think that she needs to interact with you. Um, <laughs> but if she were open and wanted to interact with you, that's a beautiful way of showing her how things keep changing. And isn't it wonderful? Oh, did you see that? <clears throat> you know, did you see that? Mm-hmm. People in cars mm-hmm. with kids often play license plate games. So all of a sudden mm-hmm. you're noticing, you know, differences in license plates or in the evening is there somebody whose taillight is not on. Mm-hmm. Anything we do that people that things are changing is going to help them. And But the culture does exactly the opposite of this. The culture mm. thinks that the way to learn something is just keep practicing it until it becomes second nature. And in fact, you know, we have the idea, learn the basics until they become second nature without asking who decided what the basics are. You know, as I said, that mm. man who was mm. 6'3", if he's using the basics and I'm using the same basics, one of us is not optimizing our performance. So uh-huh. uh, even when uh-huh. you practice uh-huh. this, now I was gathering data on this, but we haven't actually completed the study yet. But imagine that you're playing, you know, you're hitting against the ball machine in tennis and it's predictable. Mm-hmm. It's going to go to your forehand, your backhand, your forehand, your backhand, that the practice is going to be much less effective than if it's random. Because if it's random, mm-hmm. it's saying to you, mm-hmm. you don't know where the ball is going to go, so you have to be there. Okay. So this is kind of like working with a ball machine. If it just uh, shoots it to the same spot, you're not going to become a better tennis player. But if it varies where it shoots, you could become a better yes. player. Yes, and the same thing with life. If you assume that everybody who is, that all women, all gays, all blacks, you know, pick your favorite, are supposed mm-hmm. to be a certain way, then you then mm-hmm. you deny yourself um, uh, very full experiences by recognizing all the ways that people are different. <laughs> I was with Marshall Goldsmith in New York all day yesterday, mm-hmm. and he ran a little experiment. I don't know what kind of a watch, wristwatch you have. You know what a wristwatch with Roman numerals looks like, yeah. right? So, for example, the 10, what is the symbol that indicates a 10 on the on a wristwatch dial? And X, what letter indicates a number four on a Roman dialed wristwatch? One thing, I think. Wrong. That is your mind filling in the blanks of what it ought to be. If you go look at it, almost all the watches with a Roman numeral dial in the world, for the number four, it is the f- four ones, one, 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 one. Oh, really? Okay. <laughs> yeah. And well, yet, I, I, you I and I have been... I haven't seen a watch like that for forever. <laughs> or maybe, maybe no, I but... never did. So, you know, 
Yeah, see, my point is, which is exactly your point earlier, which is you are talking about, I learned this and therefore I presume it will be. I'm giving you an example of something different where, you know, I know the natural order of things. I know how it should yeah. be. And let me tell you, four should be one V, right? right? Or IV, right? But, but Rather, except that it is I, yeah. I, I, I. <laughs> All right. I mean, and that, that would be a good demonstration of what I am saying, except, but we have yes. to make sure yes. I've seen those, those watches. Because if I haven't seen those watches, yes. then I have no other cue but the logic in the situation. And I'll give you another watch example, since you like watches. Sure. If you're, you see somebody who's wearing a watch, and you say to them, do I have time to tell you a short story? So mm-hmm. they'll look at their watch, and then they'll say yes. Now if you ask them what time it is, they have to look at their watch mm-hmm. again. Yeah. Because they were looking at their watch only to answer the first question. Do I have time? So what happens Correct. is, even when we're seeking information, we limit the information that we could be taking in. So let's talk about one of your PhD students. I know we talked about Tal being one. Uh, other one is Leah Crump. Yes. I'm interested in something you apparently told her. She is apparently a nationally ranked uh, athlete. Mm-hmm. And you apparently told her that she didn't have to work out as rigorously as she was if only she would change her mindset. In other words, she could become a better athlete by changing her mindset and reducing the amount of effort, if you will. Yeah. In fact, as I said before, mindfulness is not effortful. You're just there enjoying yourself and you're picking up a lot more information. You know, there's some data that if you watch sports, so if she were to Mm -hmm. watch hockey, so now she's more Mm -hmm. comfortable than going out in the cold or whatever, You're watching Mm -hmm. hockey, but you're focusing on particular players and what they're doing, that just Mm -hmm. paying attention to what they're doing tends to improve your own performance. And the reason Mm. for that is that the mind isn't wired to differentiate between real and imagined. So the things we imagine are just as Mm -hmm. effective, basically, as the things we experience. And that can work both for us or against us, depending on where you let your mind travel. So negative, if you're sitting and thinking of all these negative things as if they're going to happen, and you imagine it happening, and it's virtually as if it did happen. And the same thing with your successes. So let me see if I can summarize this. If I do good, you know, if I exercise a lot, and I'm going to build muscles, lose weight, whatever, right? Yeah. If I watch somebody else exercise a lot, you're saying it has a marginal effect quote-unquote, on my muscles and my weight. Yes, my partner does yoga, and I feel virtuous just watching the activity over time, of course, without doing it oh, really? I haven't measured myself before and after. <laughs> but, but there is, there <laughs> but is see, data that other people have gotten with different sports. And then, of course, there's uh-huh. the chambermaid study that Ali and I did. The chambermaid <laughs> study <laughs> was the counterclockwise study where we retrofitted the retreat to 20 years earlier and had people live as their younger selves was the first Mm -hmm. test of my mind-body unity theory. And this chambermaid study was a more recent test of the same theory. And the idea is that mind-body, these are just words. 
Yet again, we treat them mindlessly. You have, you know, we have this dualist notion. You have a mind, you have a body, and the mind-body problem, um, as it's been called for so long, is how do you get from this thing called the thought to the body? And so to me, I said, let's not waste our time with this. Let's put the mind and body back together. Then wherever we're putting the body, so in that counterclockwise study, we put these old men and put their minds in their younger selves and mm-hmm. tested their bodies and their bodies went along with their minds and they became younger. What Ali and I did was to look at exercise. Now, we looked at chambermaids, mm. and what's so interesting about chambermaids is if you ask them are they getting any exercise, even though their jobs are exercising all day long, they see themselves mm-hmm. as not getting exercise because they think exercise, mm-hmm. and this is what the Surgeon General says, he was talking to white-collar workers, exercise is what mm-hmm. you do afterward. Okay, so we, we, then, uh-huh. we then take these chambermaids and divide them into groups, and the important group, all we're going to do is teach them that their work is exercise, to change their minds about work. Mm-hmm. So we mm-hmm. say to them, making a bed is like working at, on this machine at the gym and, and so on. So now we have two mm-hmm. groups. We have a group that doesn't realize that their work is exercise and a group that now mm-hmm. realizes that their work is exercise. Now we take mm-hmm. many measures to make sure there's nothing else changing. We want to find out. Mm-hmm. Are they eating any differently, you know, after the study? Are they working any harder, sure. so on and so forth? No differences. Now we take mm-hmm. our important measures. And what we found mm-hmm. is the simple change in mindset from mm-hmm. not real, you know, from seeing that their work is exercise, their mm-hmm. blood pressure came down, there was a change in body mass, waist to hip ratio, and they lost weight. All from the change of mind. So I guess if I was trying to lose weight, I could change some of my beliefs and say, for example, to myself that breathing could cause you to lose weight. Uh, talking could cause you to lose mm-hmm. weight. Working at a computer could cause me to lose weight. And a whole set of those. And if I continue to believe that and make that part of my mindset, you would conceivably expect that my quote-unquote weight would go down. Yes, but the problem is that the mindset that sitting at your computer all day is not good for you, that eating (laughs) chocolate all day is not good for you, and so on, it's unlikely Uh that you're going to be able to quickly adopt this mindset. If Uh you really, really believe it's not true, (laughs) and you're trying to act as if it is true, it's not going to have the effect. If I may switch gears, because people are saying, you know, all this is nice theory, you know, Ellen and Rama having a nice time chatting about this. Tell me how I can become successful, right? So as you know, the world was filled with success stories. You know, Warren Buffett made uh, billions, Bill Gates made billions, Elon Musk uh, came up with a new idea, Zuckerberg did this. People read all this. Many people are led to believe by magazines and newspapers that knowing the habits of the successful people could lead you to success. I suspect you would say it's their mindset. Whether you're a woman, a minority, an engineer, or whoever seeking success in business, how can you attain success from where that person is? You know, does it make sense to look at all these people? And if so, what should they be looking at? Well, it depends on 
when and why they're looking people. I think that other people's experience is useful. I don't think that just as if I play tennis the same way that six foot three man is playing tennis, that I'm going to be successful in the way he is. But what mm. what we need to do, it's a very simple thing that if you're mindful, that means you're in the present because you're aware of the uncertainty, you're actively noticing new things, then what happens is you avert the danger not yet arisen, and you can take advantage of opportunities. And what happens is, since you're enjoying yourself, imagine, you could follow a boilerplate, you know, a set of rules, and you mm -hmm. could fail or succeed. Or you could do it, mm -hmm. in some sense, your own way, and you could fail or succeed. Now, Mm -hmm. If you give up yourself and you do it the way they do it, and you're not enjoying yourself while you're doing it, and you fail, mm -hmm. that seems to me the worst of all possible scenarios. If, if mm -hmm. you're doing it your own way, and as I just said, you're more likely to succeed because you're in the moment so you can take advantage mm -hmm. of things that other people are not seeing, but even if you mm -hmm. did fail, at least the journey was fun. You are enjoying what yes. you're doing because you're mindfully in the moment. And, you know, even though it may not be exactly playing tennis like Roger Federer, you're playing it in a way that makes you feel good. Right. So and even if you fail, it doesn't feel so bad. It, yeah, right? because you know why you did it. So you know, an easy way to okay. do it their way or your way. If you do it their way, you okay. fail. You've got nothing out of it. If you do it your way and you fail, well, at least you enjoy the whole activity. And But more okay, important let's... than that is that you're going to be more likely to succeed because you're there. Okay. Okay. So let's stay with your tennis analogy. So I'm here watching Roger Federer, you know, Wimbledon champion, play tennis. Is there a way I can identify or replicate or copy his mindset that will increase the chances that I will become a much better tennis player than I am. I don't think we know what his mindset is. I'm not sure that he knows what his mindset is. I'm not sure when he tells us what his mindset is that that was actually what was in operation. But you will get better if you notice the things that he's doing. And then you adjust to your own game, your own talents, physique, and so on those mm -hmm. particular things. So you see you know, uh, the way he follows through when he hits the ball. And you might say to yourself, mm -hmm. you know, I never follow through. So then you go out on mm -hmm. the court and then you start following through. Now your follow through mm -hmm. and his follow through may be very different, but your game can mm -hmm. still improve by having watched him. I picked up two things from what you said. One is, so even if we had Roger Federer sitting here in front of us and we asked him a set of questions, we would get a set of beliefs or things he does that we could potentially replicate. What for sure it could do if I followed those is that my game of tennis will improve from wherever it is today. However, in order to fully benefit from Roger Federer's mindset, I need to customize what I need to do which is specific to my circumstances, my situation, my strengths, and my weaknesses. Exactly, exactly. You know, I went to a tennis camp when I was younger, and they were trying to change my serve, which is the best part of my game, mm -hmm. and it, telling me, here are the rules, here's what you're supposed to do. And then I watched mm -hmm. Wimbledon, I guess, 
and notice that mm-hmm. none of the pros know how to serve correctly. <laughs> none of them were doing what, quote, you're supposed to do. And what made them uh-huh. pros was that they made the game their own. And it's uh, those so, so in other words, And yeah. it doesn't matter whether you're at yeah. work or at play. You know, that what you want uh-huh. to do. If you realize that the rules were just somebody's decision about what they should be, they yeah. weren't handed down from the heavens. You know, um, yeah. I remember yeah. when I was doing my dissertation that at that point, a research paper had an introduction, a method section, the results, and then a discussion section. Well, I had more to say, so I added a conclusion mm-hmm. section. My mm-hmm. experience tells me that most people would have stopped after the discussion because that's the way you're supposed uh, to do uh, it. You see uh, the difference? Uh, Reco- uh, so uh, if you recognize yeah. that everything, virtually everything that is was put there by people, that people have biases, people have limited knowledge based on you know historical sorts of things, that people are just using their best guesses. And if it's your mm-hmm. best guess versus their best guess, it's easier to take your best guess than if you assume mm-hmm. this is the way. So if I had to summarize this, Alan, everybody can be successful starting from exactly who they are, where they are. Mm-hmm. They need to go and look at the mindsets to the extent that they can discover it of other people who are successful and they need to embrace what makes sense to them and then they need to figure out how to apply it in their situation to themselves. Exactly. And then over a period of time, they will improve. In other words, it's not that I'm going to watch Roger Federer for one hour and in a, an hour and one minute later, I'm going to play as well as Roger Federer. Correct. A lot of magazines say, you know, six habits of highly successful yeah. people. Yeah. Yes, but reading it does not make you successful. Exactly. It is your willingness and actually doing, uh, looking at yourself, looking at your strengths, weaknesses, what you see around you and say, out of these six habits, I'm going to take this one and I'm going to work on incorporating it into who I am and what I do today. And then over a period of time, I'll become better at that one habit. And the next one. Well, no, except that I don't think you want to make them habits because habits are engaged mindlessly. A habit means now I know how you know, uh-huh. I keep doing it the same uh-huh. way, the same uh-huh. way as ah, now I can do it without thinking. You never want to do anything okay. without being there. Because what would you do instead? So you want to take the you know, whatever these rules that you discern for success, make them your own and then keep mm-hmm. them as lively possibilities rather than as absolute. Because as you get older and change, so let's say you know, we'll go back to the tennis example. So now you've figured out how to play tennis. You don't want to lock yourself in because at 20, you're not going to be the same physically as you are at 50. And so, but if the 50 year old player can be quite good, but not if he's trying or she's trying to play as if they're 20. So go and bring in somebody's set of rules that you understand their context to bring it into your little library, your little collection. And then you live mindfully and then you apply the rules based upon your strengths and weaknesses in the best way that you decide is appropriate. Right, appropriate, and that appropriate will make you, to the moment, knowing that correct. another moment may require something different from you. Absolutely. And that will make you a better person at whatever.
majority majority of people for example you know you know my interest is in people who are in business the majority of people who seek to get into business or you know become entrepreneurs or even people who are already in business many of them lack a business mindset so people think my card says ceo and therefore i'm a business person and i'm trying to point out to people that the card or the title or, you know having uh, your company's name on the side of a building does not automatically bestow upon you a business mindset yes. right if i was one of those people saying carol i'm a great business guy uh, what would you tell me that will kind of get my feet back on the ground <laughs> uh, well i don't know that i'd want to get your feet on the ground if you are <laughs> such a good time um, <laughs> But if you were interested in making more money, then um, I'd mm-hmm. have you question the rules that you're following. But when you mm-hmm. talk about business, there, there's something, uh, another way that I tend to disagree with business gurus. Business gurus mm-hmm. try to teach a work-life balance so that, you know, mm-hmm. and which is, of course, going to be better than a work-life imbalance. But I believe sure. in work-life integration. I believe you should be the same person wherever you are. And so you bring mm-hmm. the things that work at work to your home. You bring the things from your home life and your play life to work. And that's going to be much more, lead to much greater success. So what I would tell this business person is be your best self. Because so- everything that they're doing ultimately is about people. If you're going sure. To, sure. to sell to somebody... If you really care about that person, if you're present, that person will know it and will be more likely to buy what you're selling. We actually did research where we had people who were selling magazines door-to-door mindlessly learn the script to sell to people, or they were told, mm-hmm. generally learn the script, but make it new in, in very subtle ways that are only known to you. And then these two different mm-hmm. groups would go out and try to sell the magazines, and then somebody mm-hmm. else would come and ask the person to whom they were selling what they thought of the salesperson. And the most important thing to me was that when the salesperson was making it new, they were evaluated as charismatic. And that's what we are seen as in general. When we're there, we're alive. And in that position, a far more effective. And they also sold more magazines. So rather than worry, you know, differentiate business from home, from tennis, You know, the idea is to be there. And when you're there, you're more appealing. People trust you more. You're more charismatic and you're going to be more successful in your home life, your friend, you know, with your friends, any social situation and not unimportantly at work. Let me inject something which may be controversial. There was a very large study done in the country of Norway by Hans Vide and his partner from Stanford. They measured the IQ of all Norwegians going into the armed forces over several decades. And then they tracked what profession they ended up in and how that related to the profession of the parent. Remember, in the old days, only men worked and women did not, or most women did not, right? So they tracked all the men. What they found was that the children whose IQ was at the lower end, I'm not saying dumb or anything like that, at the lower end, tended to follow in the footsteps because they just did what was already done of their parents. Okay? Whereas ones with high IQ tended to branch off and, if you will, do their own thing. So 
let me take that and bring it back to the explanation you gave about the people who were going out and selling. One group was given a fixed script and said, you shall follow that or else. And the second group has said, here are some gentle guidelines, make it up and go do it. Would it be a leap in my head if I connected IQ to these two groups and say, for this first group, uh, you know, maybe this is a good approach for people with lower IQ. And the second one is good for people with a higher IQ. No, I don't think so. I think that, remember, IQ is just somebody's idea of a set of questions to measure that has been based Mm -hmm. on particular performance and then generalized Mm -hmm. as if it is true for all performance. So, no, Mm -hmm. I think that no matter what your quote IQ is, that you're better Mm -hmm. off being there. Mindfully deciding what to do. Yeah. Now, it may be the case that those who are smarter among us, whatever that means, mm-hmm. may come up with more options and ultimately be more successful. But I don't think anybody okay. prospers from being mindless. Okay. We have lots of okay. health data, and that at the least uh-huh. says mindfulness is important, when <laughs> in several studies we make people more mindful and they live longer. We make people yeah. more mindful See, and they're healthier. So why would you want to take your own children and dictate yeah. that this is the way you do something when you can't know that this is the way and that this is the way for some people under some circumstances based on what we know from the past, not the present? And right. in doing so, then you limit them. You also raise another interesting point there, Ellen, which is, let's say that I didn't go to an Ivy League school, okay? Mm-hmm. And therefore, I am less smart as compared to Ellen, who went to Yale, mm-hmm. an Ivy League school. That is a classic example of a belief that determines a mindset in my yes. head that I cannot accomplish as much, do as much, be as smart as Ellen, only because I decided that not going to an Ivy school is a lesser. Yeah, I mean, I think that no. there are many reasons why you might not be as smart as Ellen, but... <laughs> I think that that's exactly right, that we have these mindsets that limit us. We might have had a parent who said, you can't do it, a teacher who said we couldn't do it, whatever the it is. It could even be a sports person. And that Mm -hmm. what we do is take that information that's given at one time with one particular Mm -hmm. way of doing it and then generalize Mm -hmm. and we just give up. Now, you know, you, you can't succeed if you don't play the game. And there are many ways yeah, of playing yeah, the game. Yeah. And we realize that when you take these people who are supposed to be better than any of us are, mm-hmm. that we need mm-hmm. to ask who decided that they're better based on what metric. And again, mm-hmm. that these weren't um, handed down from the heavens. They were just some people's decision about this is the way you should do it. And it See, turns I'm, out... I'm, that the greatest mm-hmm. successes come from those people who do it differently. That's what progress is. You make a very, very important point right there. The decision to either embrace that belief or choose to say, that is not true, I don't accept it, I'm going to do it differently in my on my own, are both choices made by the individual. In other words, I will succeed if I choose to change mindset I can also inflict severe wounds on myself if I choose to go the other way. Right. I think that that's perfect. The only thing I would change is the very beginning where you're Mm -hmm. saying that that information is wrong. 
the information probably isn't wrong. The information is limited and context-bound. So yes, on that particular test, I did poorly. That doesn't mean mm -hmm. on another test given by other people with different questions that I would have done poorly. So you don't want to deny the fact. You want to contextualize it, understand that this was somebody's idea of what excellence is. There are many, you know, mm -hmm. many ways of being excellent. And also that even that particular test at that particular time is guided by many things. If I took that same test again, I might do better on it. But you don't want to start mm -hmm. by saying that it was untrue. You just want to understand that that truth is with a very small T rather than a capital T. I was raised in a family. My father was a high school principal for 30 years. My mother was a high school teacher for 20, you know. My father was the first graduate in his entire family of eight yeah. kids. So I was raised as being told, you shall get a good education and that's going to, you know, mm -hmm. propel you, etc. Right? Mm -hmm. But one of the things I didn't grow up around or was told was how to become a good business person. In other words, they did not inject into me the beliefs that would have led to a business mindset. Mm -hmm. Okay. So if I came to you and said, Dr. Langer, please help me. How can I acquire a business mindset to increase the odds of succeeding in a business? I would tell you mm -hmm. that business is just another part of life. And what are the life mm -hmm. skills that are important? And how do you mm -hmm. do with people? And how might you understand people differently? to be more successful. But if I said, oh, look at Bill Gates, look at Warren Buffett, look at Zuckerberg, and whoever it is, right? Elon Musk, pick, pick all your favorite people, or I can say John, Mary, and Joe, who are successful in business, how can I go about learning from them to change my mindset to help me be more successful in business? I think that what you can learn from them is that they each did it in their own way. And so that what you need to do rather than take a blueprint from any of them is find your own way. How would I go about doing that? And to become more mindful, to recognize that everything is changing and by actively noticing how this situation, this product, this person is different from the last time I interacted with them or from other people, that's going to put you in the moment. And when you're in the present, then you're there to take advantage of opportunities and avert dangers. Mm -hmm. I think that the desire for a blueprint is what has gotten us into trouble across the board, whether mm -hmm. it's sports, uh, uh, business, any part of life, because that blueprint, mm -hmm. you're then going to learn mindlessly. And then you're holding things still when the world more naturally varies. So what you want to do if you're not successful at something is to recognize that that doesn't speak to whether you'll be successful the next time. But if you vary what you're doing, rather than do the same thing over and over again, you're more likely to be mm -hmm. successful. And I think that that's a good way for us to end today is to recognize that we can have plans, but we don't want to yeah. follow through with the plans when they don't make sense. If, you know, as in this case, I assume you asked me a question, I answered it that that answer led you, at this moment, to ask me some different question, and then it was sure. exciting. Yeah. 
rather than could rather I, than say, oops, I've got 19 questions that were designed in a vacuum, could as I, if those questions were the better questions. So again, I think that the, the, you know, my advice to people is to remember that no matter what we call it, at the basis of everything are people, that things are always changing, that to be mindful and actively noticing new things is the essence of engagement. It makes us feel alive and other people see us as exciting. Mm -hmm. And when we're seen as charismatic and trustworthy, that's the essence of success in business and in life in general. I was going to ask you, what is the one thing you heard or learned uh, when you were young or you know, in your earlier career that uh, guides you to this day? You know, in <laughs> general, it was just recognizing the importance of people, mm -hmm. the importance mm -hmm. for me of being a nice, kind person, and mm -hmm. being in the moment through this noticing. Mm -hmm. An awareness that, gee, I didn't realize that. Gee, I didn't know. And by not recognizing mm -hmm. that you don't know, you naturally stay tuned. Absolutely. Ellen, many, many, many thanks for taking time to come on uh, the Business Thinking Radio podcast. I thoroughly enjoyed our discussion. Even though I had a set of 90 <laughs> questions, uh, you noticed that I kind of flowed along and we had a a wide-ranging conversation about many things that you kind of put together examples and I put together examples. We kind of pieced it together, I think. Yes, no, I've enjoyed uh, it also, so I invite you in the future to call mm -hmm. me. It's got to be a different set of 19 that we won't get through. And, and we'll continue. <laughs> Absolutely. Thanks for listening to Business Thinking Radio. If you'd like to comment on this episode, please send an email to podcast at businessthinking.com. This is Ram Ayer. Signing off. Thank you for listening to the Ram Ayer podcast. Every week, we bring you the thought-provoking and practical conversations to help you become better, smarter, and more successful, helping you achieve your personal greatness. All from the perch of Ram Ayer, the thought leader, author, keynote speaker, workshop leader, and mentor. If you want to comment on this episode, please email us at podcasts at mitramayer.com. If you want to listen to previous episodes, please visit www.mitramaya.com forward slash podcasts or find the Ram Aya podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher and wherever fine podcasts are uploaded.